Hey everybody in Serial Killer Country, my name is Brittany Ransom. And my name is Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week, Brian and I find a true crime story that has resonated with us, and then I will discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer, go deep into their childhood, lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. And then we'll get a little spooky and learn something about cryptids or the supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to start out this week, I did want to let everybody know that this podcast is sponsored by At Your Service Made Cafe, a local bakery in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. And uh, this week, they wanted to sponsor us to let everybody know about a event that they have coming up. Ooh. And the first event is called Afternoon Tea with Pixel Pop May Cafe. So it's a collaboration between another May Cafe who sing and dance and at your service May Cafe who will be providing all the food stuff. Excuse me, there are two May Cafes in the area? I'm not excited. I've never heard of Pixel Pop before this, but the actual event is August 8th, 2021 between 2 and 5 p.m. And there's four settings. So there's going to be four different performances with about 20 seats for each one because you're actually sitting at a, like a table with food and whatnot. Right, 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 right. But yeah, so there'll be performances, raffles, treats. I actually I have it on my list. I want to go get tickets to this. And uh, one of my and the owner, DJ, was like, well, you probably need to get it before the end of July because they have uh, like a convention type, like Harris, you know, like the Harrisburg convention or like yeah. some video game stuff that's popping up right around July coming soon. So she's she's pretty sure that tickets are going to sell at that event. Probably. So I should probably I think it's only thirty dollars for two seats. So that's really not that bad. Oh, nice. The show itself is about an hour long. And so. But you get to eat something and drink something. It sounds like it's worth it. <laughs> and I have to say this. And like, I'm sure some people who live far, far away don't care. But uh, I met uh, at your service made cafe or the owner and teacher at we, we sell things at different events. So you all know that I make jewelry. And last time we were at an event together, I <laughs> took a bottle, like an empty water bottle that was like 32 ounces. And I was just like, I would like to buy some of your lemonade, please. Oh, my God. <laughs> And I definitely did. Like, I was like, just do the math. Do the math. Whatever it is, I'll pay for it. It was like a mint limeade. It was incredible. Hmm. And so today we've been snacking on some of the things from them. I heard I heard that there might be a cotton cheesecake there, which is like really light. It's, it's I guess it's like a Japanese. You say cotton cheesecake? It's called cotton cheesecake. So that could be one of the things there. She's been running certain things by me and sending me pictures and going like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Hmm. And the other event that they're doing is a, it's called Geeks and Art. And so it's fully free at the Colonial Park Mall, um, July 31st from 3 to 8 p.m. And that's all just different artists doing things that are geek related like the main photo for the flyer is um oh gosh what's her name from it just came out the mortal kombat movie with the cuts in her face and the giant yes the main picture was is an artist rendering of melina i couldn't remember her name to save my life but yeah so they are supporting us and if you think that you live far away and you can't get this stuff that's not true because i have seen on the website which is just ays makecafe.com that 
there's been discussion of being able to ship fudge across the country. Ooh, I think that is a thing. Yeah. And uh, also at that event that I was at at the beginning of June, <laughs> uh, I got the creamsicle fudge and the strawberries and cream fudge. And that was pretty incredible, too. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Exactly. But that's just, you know, handling the business the aspect of it you know paying some bills before we start the podcast so thank you for listening yeah um we should have are we going to have some of that stuff in the show notes as well for the yes okay so we'll have that for you guys yep any links or anything like that you can go to and see and if you do happen to live in the central pennsylvania area you can go and buy the tickets on their website which will also be linked there you go and there we go and so we get into our normally scheduled content And we say this week in true crime. So I had a couple of different stories that kind of, you know, piqued my fancy a little bit. One was just sad. And so I decided not to delve too deep into it. But that there was an Uber driver who literally stole this guy's cat who he had for 18 years. What the hell? Just and then delivered food to his neighbor. And so, like, the family was like, we just want our cat back. We don't like don't hurt the lady who robbed us. But Uber is like, this is absolutely ridiculous and completely not okay so i'm pretty sure uber's gonna fire that lady well i would hope so yeah they they don't care they're they're just like excuse me that's horrendous like uh, like i have no problem with these ride sharing places but Mm -hmm. like when you when there's like no main central hub that you have to report back right right there's like there's it's like you don't know who you're you don't really know who you're hiring like you know who you're hiring oh yeah i mean and they do those little background checks and stuff yeah but, i mean <laughs> well it's just the same same thing happens within my job right yeah. so how many well you too you've yeah, also same. probably done a number of because you are in a hospital which means that you're could be in passing near a child Absolutely. so they make you do the same clearances that i have to do yeah you know but the thing is and this is really jacked up and i hate to make people who are listening freak out but here's the problem right if this person's never been caught for doing anything negative they're not going to show up on a thing so even regardless of the fact that your teachers or other people who work with kids or things of that nature have so many things that we have to get filled out like recently there's a new clearance i had to get Hmm. checking you across the entire country oh which side note we should have had long before 2019 this is true uh but because of covid it got slowed down and then like it was doing something weird like my boss got like five messages back that were like you're cleared and he was like yeah i know you sent me a letter (laughs) four other times saying that i'm cleared could but, you imagine it like uh, i mean I but know that's that- the problem so like if the person's never done anything wrong it doesn't matter that you've done a background check on them yeah this could be the first time they've stolen a cat and then some background checks like um <laughs> for instance that lady that stole that kept that sabrina the teenage witch uh, vhs oh right i feel so bad for her she uh, never she must have never worked at a job that does background checks like that yeah. she was just like why am i having such a hard time getting employment and they're like there's like thirty thousand dollars felony grand theft larceny against you and my thing is how did they never like she never been like she never got pulled over yeah no, be, probably because not. i feel like if they run your stuff they'd be like oh there's a major warrant out for your arrest yeah, of course but yeah, you know, so um, it happened in California, and uh, the person who was robbed, I feel so bad for him, because he was just like, this was the first th- 
thing that I was a dad to. Aww. He was like, before I ever had any kids, he was like, this was my my kid. And his the cat's name is Hog. And Hulk. he's 18 years old. Yes. Oh, that's adorable. And now he has children and a family and everything. So uh, his name is Patrick Lewis. So hopefully Hog can go back to Patrick and his family. Uh, Uber is very upset, though, with this driver. So hopefully they'll... Like, this was just posted uh, all in lawandcrime.com on the 21st. Hmm. So hopefully... Wow. In the future, we will have an update to that. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully he does find his way back home. Right. Maybe, hopefully Hog just like ran out as soon as she opened the door and dipped and then just shows up one day randomly. That would be sweet. Those damn cat burglars. People who steal pets are like outlandish to me. My aunt in Philadelphia always, um, she's been breeding pit bulls my entire childhood and life. Mm. And she had these two really pretty ones. They were like a really soft brown, little cuties. And um, one day she went out like it was so fast. She like was playing with them in the front yard and her front yard is gated because, mm-hmm. I mean, when you have pit bulls, people freak out. Yeah. Of course. So, you know, high gate everything. And then she went back inside real fast. And when she came out, they were gone. Hmm. And I'm like, that's definitely that was. Yeah. Someone... If the fence is high enough that the dog can't jump, that's somebody took it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's. Yeah. Animal thieves, almost as bad as cattle thieves and horse thieves. Honestly, it's the modern day cattle thievery. It really, because then they sell it on the black market. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Or they breed it and then you know use them to breed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, I have a fun story. Oh, that's good. It's not fun at all. Oh no. <laughs> uh, let me just start out by saying. Why is catfishing still a damn thing? Okay. So I was thinking about that too, because every so often, I guess years ago, I clicked the like button on the TV show Catfish on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And every so often I'll get like a video and it's like, oh, Catfish posted a video. And I'm watching this and I'm just going, are you serious? I don't even meet a person One, you also meet somebody. Yeah. Like, having these long-distance relationships that go on for years. So, yeah. So, you never talked to them on the phone. You never had, like, a video chat with them. Like, we got video chat. We have have the technology. Especially in the age of the panorama. Yeah, We got Zooms. You could Zoom with your potential lover. Discord. You're you're talking to me somehow, and you can, like, you have a phone. I don't care. You can send me a picture. Right. There's other apps, you know. Yeah. There's other apps other than Face FaceTime if somebody doesn't have you Apple. Got, you got Snapchat. You yeah. Got, um, there's gotta be something. How yeah. is this plausible? You got even I think Instagram does that shit too. But the person has to have a social media presence at somehow. Somewhat, yeah. They so do. who got catfished and how okay. ridiculous was this? <laughs> so this story is about a Virginia Tech football player. Oh. He's uh, accused of killing uh, his Tinder date, who <gasps> allegedly catfished him. He's an 18-year-old linebacker for Virginia Tech. Uh, this is a picture of him. Okay. Keep going. Um, so, I, okay, I cannot pronounce his name. I cannot. I cannot. I'm like, I, like, I should have looked it up. It's um, not even going to try Anyway, this is from Blackburg, Virginia. Okay. If anybody, like, if you want to look it up, Blackburg, Virginia, Tinder, um, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. There you go. Um, 
So they're charging him. So they arrested him on June 2nd. Um, they're charging him with second degree murder and the death of a 40 year old man named Jerry Smith. Oh, dear. Um, so he allegedly, of course, posed as a Jerry Smith. He posed as a woman on Tinder. Mm. And, you know, I, like for an 18 year old being catfished is different than like a 25, 30 year old being catfished on the Internet because... Don't you think? No, I don't know. Because then you're asking me, the most tech savvy kids who have had the most access to technology. Mm. Like you realize, someone who's 18 has had access to technology their entire childhood. You're right. You're right. But we didn't have that when we were little. I don't think they've come across a lot of catfishing in their time. Maybe that. Okay, that because everybody does have all of their life all online all the time. I guess. Exactly. Um, so let me see. Let me read this um, police thing. The police department said officers conducted a welfare check on the main North Main Street uh, at 10:30 p.m. on June 1st, where they found Smith's body. Um, so apparently, according to the let me see, let me see, let me see, Smith and his his last name is E T U T E. So it e e T U T E. Something. Um, So they reportedly met on Tinder, Mm -hmm. but, you know, E, he um, allegedly believed that he, you know, he matched with a woman on Tinder named Angie Mm -hmm. and not this man named Jerry Smith. Oh, true, true. So, um, so when he went to... When E went to Smith's apartment, this happened on April 10th, um, he went there for um, oral sex, and he repeatedly returned to the apartment on May 31st to engage in another sexual activity when Angie was actually Smith. So, that's confusing to me. So, he went there on April 10th for oral sex. Right. So, did he not receive it? When he went there the first time, or hmm. you know what I mean, like maybe he got like he, you know, he stood him up because he was like, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do. So okay, continue. Okay, and then he went back on May 31st to meet up again, and then he that's when he discovered that uh, Smith was act- uh, Angie was actually Jerry Smith. So yeah, I mean, it sounds like he probably got stood up the first time. Yeah. So the Roanoke Times reports that. Um, that E had uh, punched Smith in the face five times and then stomped on him. Um, he allegedly heard bubbling and gurgling when he left Smith's apartment. So uh, he did not call the police, of course. So that's when the welfare check, because he, I guess he hadn't reported to anybody. No one had seen him in a couple of days. Okay. And they're like, please go check up on him. So, yeah. That's a thing. So he's he's kept on house arrest house arrest right now, mm-hmm. um, and his bond is seventy five thousand dollars. So he was suspended from the football team, of course. And you know, now here's what I will say: suspension. Yes, maybe it's been more plausible for people to catfish in the last eighteen months because of COVID. Nobody's going anywhere. Nobody's meeting anybody. I would still want to like 
speak to you. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? If it's like, we're not going to meet up anytime soon. but We did a little... Yeah, we tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we tried to, a virtual date. <laughs> we tried to do the thing where you um, where were we trying to? I wanted to the see catacombs. the catacombs. Yes. And so it was like there was this whole thing they were like promoting all these different museums all over the world. Were like, come to our museum. You can like you can do it digitally. Yeah, it was like April of last year. Yeah. And um, they only allowed us to see like three locations, so it was kind of a bust as far as an e date goes. I know, where, but we tried. Where was that place? In I think it was Korea. That cheese place. That cheese. Uh, oh, the amuse- cheese. The cheese uh, amusement park. Yes. Where was that at? Isn't like it's somewhere. in it's it's uh it's in South Korea. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we I, talked about it because I was very enthralled by it. <laughs> they had a lot of pictures of it. <laughs> we did, so but, we we ended up looking through a lot of pictures of things on the internet, but at least that happened. Yeah, I'm we tried like, to talk on was it Discord? Probably. Yeah, it was Discord. Yeah. Um, but yeah, see, they got disc, you got Discord. Just buy a webcam. It was like twelve bucks for like the cheapest webcam. I bet you could find. I have but, no idea where my webcam is from last year. <laughs> I don't know if I left it at my friend's house. I don't know if that jerk off who lived there probably stole it. Mm, probably. He's petty, a butt. Petty ass. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just like nowadays, I'm not sure if kids interact with a lot of catfishing. Mm-hmm. And so. and then it's Well, like, some of them don't even understand the, the reference. Exactly. Like that movie that uh, the guy who makes the TV show, Neve, Neve and Max, yeah, yeah, made yeah. years ago was about him tracking down this girl who he thought was so amazing on the internet and they made a whole series about it on, on mtv yeah god but yeah please stop cat i don't think catfishing was still a thing it definitely <laughs> still is a thing i think it's just not as prolific as it used to be like that's why it always kills me like somebody's like can i see more pictures of you i'm like where do you want to see more pictures of me fam <laughs> all over my instagram tiktok like you can, every i am everywhere i'm everywhere i'm you can see me oh my god but that yeah. was the thing that used to irk me the most when i was like looking and dating mm. like <sighs> i had an i had an entire instagram i haven't updated it in ages about like weight loss mm-hmm. so i had just body pics all over the place I, I mean, these days I gained a little bit of weight during COVID, so you know we're not exactly posting and full no, body it's, pictures. It's fine because you like you. It was real easy to find too. Like mm-hmm. you didn't tell me you had one. <laughs> I was like, oh, there you go. Because <laughs> Instagram, if you have someone like, and that's the thing. If you have someone, I have number, multiple Instagrams. I have multiple TikToks. I only have one Facebook, and I, uh, it's not under my real name, so don't go looking for it. And please don't, don't go looking for mine either, because I will not friend you at all. Mm-mm. You keep yourself locked down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuck y'all. <laughs> I'm the one who overshares in a in this relationship. But regardless, oh goodness. But yeah, that was my story. Um, there you go. Catfishing on Tinder and mm. well wow. murdered. When killers get caught is sponsored by the Magic Class Boutique. Now, why does that name sound so familiar? Well, it's because it's a business ran by our very own Brittany. That's right. The Magic Class Boutique is not only a black-owned business, it's a woman-owned as well. This is a jewelry company that makes some pretty awesome earrings, ranging from cute little sushis to spooky mermaid skeletons. 
There are even adorable self-defense keychains for those just-in-case moments. And introducing the Serial Collection. This set of earrings is based off of Serial Killers and the official merch for the podcast. This collection features everything a serial killer would need to pull off their crimes, from hunting knives at the beginning of their crimes to warding keys for when they eventually get caught. Check out themagicclasp.com today where you can use our promo code CAUGHT to receive 15% off of your online order. That's T-H-E-M-A-G-I-C-C-L-A-S-P dot com and use promo code CAUGHT for 15% off and make sure you tell Brittany that I sent you. So this past week, we got an email from a nursing student named Janelle. Hi there, Janelle, if you're listening. And she was in a psychiatric mental health nursing course, and she came across a pretty landmark case that they were studying in the U.S. Uh, involving mental health care and the responsibility of mental health care professionals to their patients, but also the safety of the public. You're not reading me the story, are you? I indeed. I went into a lot of detail with the story. Oh, my God. Um, we talked about it last week when we read her email, but it's called Tarasoff versus Regents of the University of California. Um, because before this case, there weren't any legal requirements for a therapist or a psychiatrist to report a patient to the police. Um, and on a federal level, there is no legal. It's all state based at this point. I was able to pull up some medical drone discussions on the case, how it affected the medical community. But where I found the most thorough explanation of what happened to Tatiana Tarasov was a book called Bad Karma, A True Story of Obsession and Murder by Deborah Blum. Uh, and like most of the cases we discuss, I have to talk about the murder, mm. where he came from, who he was before he got to America, his relationship with the woman he eventually murdered, uh, and then what this did to the States afterward. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so the murderer in question, his name is Prashinjit Padar. Uh, he was born in India in 1968. I can't get a full like birth date exactly for him. Mm -hmm. um, but he was born as an untouchable. And if you remember in episode 11, when we talked about Fulan Devi, mm -hmm. the untouchables are the bottommost rung of the caste system in India that has existed for thousands upon years, uh, you know, just thousands upon thousands of years. The original system was like priests, then warriors, merchants, then servants. And below them were the untouchables. Right. The thing that's so devastating about the caste system is that this is what your family and your entire lineage is destined to do pretty much forever. Um, you are pretty much said to have the worst and most thankless jobs, cleaning up human waste, uh, dragging dead people to be cremated. You get the worst of the food. You have to scavenge. And in the time period that Prashinjit lived in India, he grew up listening to the stories of his grandmother, Bagadi, who had lived before Gandhi. Mm -hmm. And he was taught from her about how untouchables were less than animals. Oh. Like, um, she had to live outside of villages because you couldn't, like, taint, like, the better people. And... Tainting them was if you breathed the same air or drank from the same water supply or even if you stepped in the shadow 
of an untouchable. The only time that the untouchables were even allowed into his grandmother's village was to do like the unclean jobs, which we're talking about here. Like at this point, like the early 1900s, late 1800s, they didn't have bathrooms. Right. So this was, they picked up these like jars that were full of excrement Mm -hmm. and you were to take those and dump them. That was a job that untouchables did. Um, she like, and when his grandmother was little, she was required to carry a broom behind like her family and like sweep the st- the, the steps that the untouchables made as they walked through the oh home. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. That's how bad it was. Um, Prashinjit's family worked for an upper caste family and that was considered to be their hereditary right. They were going to work for this family forever. Um, like, Bugatti was never to be seen, the grandmother. Mm-hmm. And so in order for her to not be seen by the family who she worked for, she carried a drum and she had to like beat it when she walked in the house so that the people who live there stayed in their rooms. Really? What? Huh? So I feel like that's an important aspect of understanding that that's like the mentality that he grew up with. Okay. Yeah. Um, by the time Jean was born, though, things were significantly better. His father, uh, whose name is Pulanchandra, was the first untouchable in the Farikpur district of East Bengal to learn how to read. And the locals definitely tried to stop him from going to school. But uh, a member of like the priest class took pity on him and let him into school. And by let him into school, I mean he was allowed to sit outside of the schoolhouse in the dirt and listen to the lessons. Of course. Which he did for six years. Outside of six years. He did it six years. Damn. And then uh, after those six years of, I guess, what you would call primary school, um, he was able to find a job as a court inspector at the magistrate's office in the town of Mulda. He earned what would have been considered an unprecedented amount of money for an untouchable, which was 900 rupees a year. And for those of us in the States, that is $150. A year. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's like how bad it is yeah, for them. That's terrible. Uh, Prashinjit was his firstborn and he was set to go live with his parent, uh, his like family members at nine years old. So he could attend like an official school. Um, and this was because Prashinjit was a talented student, just mathematics, chemistry. He created his own chemistry lab in his second cousin's house. He started designing and building mechanical devices. Like he made a small steam engine and a homemade telephone in a city that didn't have running water or electricity. That's incredible. Right? So then when he was 16, he takes the joint entrance exam for the Indian Institute of Technology, which was at the time the best engineering college in the entire country. Uh, Remembering that India is a very large country. And even in the 60s, you're talking about 100,000 students all vying for about 1,200 spots. Mm -hmm. And Prashinjit scored in the upper 10th of the top 1%. And he was admitted to uh, the branch of school at Karkpur and West Bengal. Now, the government had had kind of, it was almost kind of like an affirmative action situation. Saying that there were a certain amount of spots to be given to untouchables, but that had been overturned in 1949. And so for like a good decade or so, there hadn't been many students of his caste allowed into the university. 
his the fact that he had such high scores is the only reason why they allowed him. It was like, do we let go of this brilliant mathematician because he's an untouchable or we let him in because he'll make our school better? Huh. Huh. Conundrums. Decisions. Um, while he was there, he studied naval architecture. After five years, he graduated number two in his class, and he had decided on his own that he was going to go abroad and pursue his master's in America. That was his number one goal in life. Um, and I have to explain this. Even now, in 2021, getting entry into the University of California at Berkeley is not easy. Hmm. Um. It would be especially difficult for a kid with no money from halfway around the world. I'm just trying to think, how hard is it to get in there? Is it like you have to have like scholarships or? You know what? I didn't do that. But you know what? It's actually pretty easy. Um, I'm not a a university or college student, so I would not know. Well, I see. How many students apply to UC Berkeley every year? 88,000. They admit 15,000. So it's about, um, yes, is how many applicants. And actually, that's just freshman class. Across all, for uh, fall of 2021, they received 112,000 applications, up from 88,000 the year before. Oh, wow. UC Santa Cruz received 62,000. So that's just like, that's one branch. Of the University of California receives 112,000 students and uh, they have about 15,000 seats available. My goodness. So it's it's very difficult and it's one of those weird situations where you have to have good grades, but you also have to be a well-balanced student. Mm. You also have to provide something to the school body that the college finds attractive. Isn't that funny? Why? <laughs> it just seems like it's funny. Like, I don't have to, like, in, like, elementary or middle school or high schools, you don't have to do that. You just have to be there and learn, sit there in class. That's because the, the school is in the business of making money, too. So they have to essentially be able to make their school look more attractive. And I got to tell you, imagine you're a brilliant uh we'll say a brilliant kid who's Puerto Rican and you want to go to different schools around the country and you go to a school and there is not one Puerto Rican kid there at all. I I don't know. I mean like, yes, on one hand you're like, I'm going to go to this really good school because it's really good. Yeah. But on the other hand, you might be like, I'm kind of worried that there's nobody who understands my cultural identity at this school. Exactly. So they kind of bend. And the thing is they don't just want kids who just, you know, studied their hardest and did nothing else. Mm. Which is unfortunate because that's why high school students are so friggin' stressed <laughs> as it is now. And like, it's gotta be worse than it was like 12 years ago. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. No. It was stressful when I was in high school and I'm sure it's even worse now because the schools have gotten more expensive and there's less spots yep. and the money is just hard to organize that. So go to trade school, kids. <laughs> Listen, that's why I've I've had kids ask, like, oh, what do you think I should do? And I'm like, listen, here's what you want to do if you're going to go to college because it's really expensive. I'm like, you need to find a major that allows you to pivot. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, when my father was in law school in the 1970s, he was told by his college professors that the age of you having a job for 50 years is over. 
And that was over that was over 50 years ago. Oh my god. So it is even more like that now. People on average only stay in a job a couple of years, as, 3 to 5 say, years. Yeah, at so least. you have to be able to have like a a portfolio mm. when you exit college that allows you to move with the way things are moving. And it took me a really long time personally to get there. As you know, as a grown-up Britney. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is especially difficult for young people. Yeah, yeah. Goodness gracious. That's <laughs> a lot of work. It is, you know. So, um, but Prashinjit has decided he wants to go to, not only does he want to go to school in America, he mm-hmm. wants to go to one of the better schools in America. One of, one the, of best. the best schools one in America. Outside of, like, a straight Ivy League. God. Mm. Um. And the thing is, roughly tens of millions of college students from India hope to go to America and very, very few actually get here. It's almost it was almost at the time because this was when this book was written was in the late uh, six, late 70s. Um, At that point, it was almost unheard of for someone who was considered to be an untouchable to go abroad. And he actually kept it from everyone in his family. Until he got word from the West Bungle government that he qualified for a scholarship to UC Berkeley. Oh, snap. One year's tuition in 1967 was 89,000 rupees, which is about 1,200 US dollars. Isn't that incredible? $1,200 a year is how much it used to cost. I wish. I wish. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm like still have $50,000 that I haven't paid off yet. Oh, my God. Um, but this, I mean, think of how much money his dad was making when he first started his job. True. He's, he's, you know, so this is a major amount of money to spend on what the society deems to be the lowest of the low. Yeah. Um, but the worst part here was that the government was like, listen, we got you on the school part. You got to find a way to get to California. Oh. And so a, the plane ticket was the equivalent of about six and a half years of work for Prashin Jeet's father. What the um, and he was scared. So he, he took the official letter to his father, knelt at his feet, presented it to him. Um, his dad was shocked because nobody even knew he wanted to go to America. Hmm. Um, it's, he thought about it for about a week and he took out a loan for 6,000 rupees. Nice. And there he was go. like, screw it. We're doing this. All right. Um, and then in the fall of 1967, Prashin Padar stepped into an airplane at Calcutta Dum Dum airport and became one of the few untouchables in the entire history of India to leave for an American in, in, in university at the time. Um, when he arrived, he moved in with other international students at a dorm called the International House. Uh, and he had about two trunks of stuff and he was ready to leave behind this world that said he wasn't good enough to do anything other than clean toilets. That's great. But I would like everyone listening to think. If you think Americans are standoffish and xenophobic now, you didn't know anything about America in 1967 no, because uh, he didn't get the welcome he thought he was going to get. Not at all. I, I believe that. And the worst part about it is that Prashinjit didn't realize that we were just being our normal asshole selves. Instead, he internalized it and he thought that his classmates knew that he was an untouchable and that's why they weren't talking to him. Uh, so he's all the way around the other side of the world not realizing that we don't know anything about caste systems yeah, in India. Nothing like that. So for him, he's like, this is just like being back home. No, we're just assholes. Nope, we're just jerks. <laughs> 
So he's like, the people back home ignore me. The people in California ignore me. Um, he was always a quiet dude. Like, he was a quiet kid into a quiet adolescence. But in California, he turned even more inward. After class was on Fridays, he'd hang around the campus cafeteria. Then he'd go up to his room. He'd stay there all weekend by himself. In that first year when he was at UC Berkeley, he never spoke to an American outside of class. And honestly, um, he was like, I don't know what the American experience is, but this sucks and I don't want to be here anymore. Welcome to America. Yep. Um, and he actually considered going home. Oh, um, but of course he was like, my dad took out that loan. You can't waste that. He's like, everybody's so proud of me, you know? So he's like, I won't go back. And then, of course, he had a job here in the States, and that money was going back to his family back home. I would hope so. So he had, like, (sighs) there was a lot of stress there, too. Yeah, Um, yeah. So he learned how to fake being happy, as we do. Uh, Whenever the loneliness became unbearable, he would pick up a manual on ship propulsion systems and focus on his education. Hmm. I, I, I can't deny that in writing some of this that it it felt a little real uh of um when you're sad focus on your work totally not doing that right now yes. in my life <laughs> uh, same <laughs> um almost kind of ironically because he had no life outside of school he did awesome his first year in math in grad school That's great. um he handled the awful, arrogant professors that are sometimes at colleges uh, very well because he was like, well, you know, people have always treated me like I'm stupid and worthless. So nothing's changed. <laughs> um, and so uh, he worked at an area called Richmond Field Station, which was an old World War II um, like base that had been converted. Um, the students who worked there were all grad students who were training in ship design. And so they were building things there and whatnot. And I'm going to, there are a couple names in this story that will be changed. And one of them is the, his boss at this facility. Okay. Um, his name is actually not Gunner Stanfill, but um, later on in the story, we'll learn why Gunner didn't want his real name to be released. Okay. Because he didn't help things when things got, got bad. Oh, oh okay. Um, and I'll say this. Um, Gunner was your typical, like, former military jock guy. Mm. Like, I, from, I, I think he, he told the students, like, on their first day of school, I got my PhD at the University of Hard Knocks. He's that kind of guy. <laughs> I like him. And <laughs> so um, Stanfield thought that Prashinji, actually, he referred to him. And I won't be using this term for the rest of this, but he referred to him as the little Hindu. Oh, my God. Exactly. Um, he didn't expect Prashinji to be all that great, actually. Um, he didn't think very highly of him, but uh, he thought he was going to be like all of the other unskilled calculus and physics majors who showed up there. Like, I want to learn how to make boats. And instead, what he got was this kid who had been building things since he was, like, nine years old. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, holy cow. Like, not only was he really great with his hands, but he had a work ethic like nobody, like, no other kid he'd met. Like, at this point, Prashinjit's, like, 20, 22 around this age. So he would stay late to fix a part of the ship if he heard, like, one knock that didn't sound right in a motor. Um. He stayed late almost every day he was there. Um, And then 
he he earned the respect of his boss. And Stanfield was like, um, come have lunch with me. This was unheard of amongst the students. You don't, um, you don't have lunch with your bosses? No. His boss did not invite anybody to have lunch with him. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, Prashinji was like, what? No, I'm not. not, not I got to go work on this thing. I got to put these. I got to write things down. I got a list. And he was like, no, 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 no. You're coming to eat with me. And so from that point on, every like Tuesday and Thursday that he worked at the field station, mm. the two had lunch. And this was the first time that actually through speaking to Stanfield, he learned America doesn't have a caste system. Um, and this has been entirely in his brain. Yeah. Um. And it was kind of like the door to having relationships with people opened up a little bit. And he was free to, like, get a little bit confident. Right. Um, the International House did these dances, like, every Friday. And that goal was to have these students who were pretty isolated, being that they spoke different languages and whatnot, to mingle with other students. Prashinjit had gone to one early when he first got there. And he had had a pretty terrible time and talked to nobody and just stared at pretty girls and felt bad about himself. As you do. So this time, though, he was like, well, you know, I've been talking to the Americans at my job. Maybe I'll talk to another American. I don't know. Very excited. Okay. Um, Here you go, guy. So November 15th, 1968 would be the day that he first, well, he noticed her before, but I think this is the first time he noticed her and got to talk to her. Her name was Tatiana Taranoff, um, nicknamed Tanya. Um she was an immigrant from Russia. Her family at first moved to South America and then moved to the States when she was 14. Tanya was 18 and she was going to Merritt College in Oakland, California. Her parents were very overprotective and forbid her from even wearing makeup or dressing the way that she wanted, even though she was in college. Um, the one thing that she was allowed to do with ease was go to dances at the I house. And uh, because that was where she taught, she tutored Portuguese speaking, speaking students in her like free time. Mm -hmm. So on that night, uh, Prashinji got ready. He walked into this horrifically. I love it because the <laughs> Deborah Bloom mentions multiple times and several other articles I read on this, the mustard colored auditorium. It must have been hideous if articles written in 2020 referenced the color of this auditorium at UC Berkeley. It must have been terrible. Everybody who went there was like this horrible auditorium where they did these dances. It's like someone gray poop on the walls. Pretty much. <laughs> um, so Prashinji goes to the dance and there's this large group of students dancing the Hora, Israeli dance. Mm -hmm. um, and he sees this beautiful girl, blonde hair, green eyes. She's just spinning around like crazy. And at one point, he kind of got close enough to the circle where she grabbed his hand and kind of invited him to spin around with her. And he was very afraid. Um, As one. But afterward, he decided, he was like, is she going to be like all the other Americans who ignore me? Um, but he didn't talk to her that night. Two weeks go by. He sees her at a dance again. Those two weeks, he had spoken to several other Indian students and American students and even to Goner, to, to Stanfield, mm. about how to talk to women. And this time he talked to Tanya, asked her her name. She encouraged him to dance with her. He tried to ask her to go to the movies, but it didn't work well. Aww. And he ended up just shaking her hand before they went home. Oh, no. <laughs> You hate to see it. You hate to yeah, see it. Yeah, some of these are recounted. Uh, Deborah Bloom did eight years of interviews 
for this book. So she interviewed some of Tanya's friends who talked about these experiences there. The following Friday, um, Tanya went to the dance um, and her best friend was out with another guy and she was kind of bummed. So she ended up kind of wandering around the student areas, the cafeteria, then back to iHouse where she was like, oh, wait, that's where the guy I met last week is. And so she asked, apparently they just tell people where students are in the 70s, in the 60s, because this would never happen now. She's just like, what room is this guy Prashinji in? And they were like, 607. And so she just goes upstairs, knocks on his door. He thinks it's one of his friends and is like, come on in. And then he's like, oh, wow. (laughs) Um, Tanya's pretty impressed by all the machines. um, And she definitely thinks that he's very different from a lot of the guys at Berkeley. Um, the next night he did invite her to a movie and they decided to meet at a local theater. Mm-hmm. He is of course, very awkward. This being the only, the first interaction he has with a young woman. Of course. Um, and it's very interesting because even though ultimately Tatiana or Ta- Tanya doesn't like him, the two did have similar, very strict upbringings. Um, Prashinjit's mother repeatedly like sent him letters about how she does not want him to meet an American woman and threatened to disown him oh if God. he dated one. Oh she God. also would send him like sections of the local paper with eligible women's names and their lineage circled. Mom, like very passive aggressive, mom. Mom, there, there, are, there are Indian women who live in America as well. No. She's like, no, no, no. You finish your school. You come back here. You marry an Indian girl. <laughs> Oh, my God. You increase our family's position. (laughs) On the flip side, Tanya's father was, like, obsessive. He watched over her like a hawk. Um, Even once while she was in high school, like, doing, like, a theater performance, Mm. um, some of the other kids were like, there's a guy in the bushes outside of where we're doing this. Oh, my God. And so her teacher went to look and was like, it's your dad. Do you want me to do something? And so she ended up like going outside and he was just like, I love you so much. I'm just making sure you're okay. And she's like, why won't you leave me alone? Go to work, dad. God. Um, he would interrogate money. her about any boys. Like if she had like, he would like go in her room and he would like, if she had like a phone number for a boy from a class, mm. he'd be like, who's he? Who's this? Oh my God. Who's calling you? Why is he here? So that's what she was dealing with. And he was dealing with, also on the flip side, parents who were trying to sort of choose his life for him too. Yeah. It didn't help that uh, Tanya's father, very older Russian man, he did not understand why she even wanted to go to college and he was not very supportive. Huh. So you said that she didn't like him, right? Who? Um, well, ultimately, yes, we're going to find that's a, a sneak peek, but you'll see why that happened. Goodness. But why'd you go up to this room then? Well, so here's the thing. After that first date, Prashinjit decides he's going to write a letter to his parents saying that he met the love of his life in America. And he called her and invited her to go out with him again. Mm -hmm. After looking up her family's address in the phone book, which she did tell him, she was like, there's only one Tarasov in the phone book. Just call me. Mm -hmm. So he didn't overstep the line there. (laughs) It's going to change though. Um, At first, his intention was that he like, when she didn't like, she essentially she was like, I can't go out with you this weekend. And he was like, okay, cool, cool. So then he was like, well, the phone book has her address. So he goes up to her house and he rings the doorbell and nobody's there. And then he sees like a bathing suit bottom 
in front of her house. Uh, and he definitely kept it. No. And he definitely sniffed it. No, he did. But he did leave some cookies there for her. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. Meanwhile, Tanya is avoiding him. And she's upset that there's another guy that she did really like who had started dating somebody else. Oh, so, okay. She's like, God damn it. I was wasting my time with this guy. I don't need to like him. I want to date this guy. He just moved on without me. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what Also, happened. remember the age difference here, too. So he's 20. Tanya's 18, and he's about 22 at this point. Yeah. So, I will say to anybody listening, because I'm like, uh, it's, it's very easy for this to slide into victim blaming. I'm going to tell you that. Um, but she was very young. And so she was kind of flitting about and talking to different people and guys and stuff. And it's, it's what you do. It's what you do when you're 18 and in college. Except for him, he was slightly older. And he's thinking of the older ways and the fact that his family's going to set him up with somebody. Right, yeah, he's, yeah, he's thinking about other things. Yeah. So he is just before New Year's, 67. He goes into the city to buy silk to get Tanya a sari made, fully intending to give it to her when he asks her to marry him. Yes. What's a, what's a sari? So it's a really beautiful um, dress that Indian women wear for a lot of, you definitely wear it on your wedding day, but also like other fancy occasions. It's very beautiful and it's like wrapped around you in a really pretty way. I'm um, Okay. I know, I know what that is. Sorry. <laughs> It's a formal, uh, a traditional formal gown. Okay. For the women in India wear. So Tanya tells him, like, listen, I don't know if I'm going to go to the New Year's Eve dance. I'm not feeling the best. Whatever. But her friend's off with her boyfriend. The guy she likes gone. So she goes to the eye house and they see each other there. Of but course. it's different. Um, she's kind of put off by the fact that, like, he showed up at her house and announced because he's like, I, I left you cookies. And she was just like, you don't understand. My dad would have beat your ass <laughs> if he had been there. Um, and so, of course, you know, Prashinjit apologizes. And she's just like, I don't think I'm digging this guy. Right. Yeah. At one point during the night, she just leaves. She meets somebody else there. She dips out. When they talk the next day on the phone, he tries to set up another meeting. She brushes it off. Um. Over it, it, it ha- it's it's considerable until she finally they finally agree to meet. They end up having a conversation about like college aspirations, and he accidentally puts his foot in his mouth about why she would need to go to Berkeley because she's going to Merritt College right now, and she wants to transfer to Berkeley the following year. Uh-huh. So he's like, "Well, you know, it's really hard school, and you don't have to, you know, women don't have to go to college." Oh, damn you! She's not okay with that. Of course um, not. Um, she is trying to put the brakes on this and, you know, friend, we're friends, friend, friend, friend. And he's like thinking he's gaining ground in this relationship. Wife, wife, Um, wife, wife, wife. Gotcha. When she canceled another date with him, he went to her house and he hid and watched her from the bushes. Oh my God. Just like her dad. Yep. Um, well, he's just like your dad. Well, (laughs) then he watched her leave, followed her on foot, approached her and told her that, he was nearby looking for a hardware store and he's like, well, you said you were sick. Why are you like walking around? That didn't go over very well. Mm. You're losing um, me, guy. He pretty much gives her an ultimatum. He's just like, 
if you're not going to pursue something with me, I don't think I can be your friend. Okay, bye. No and she's like, okay. Um, this didn't go well for him, though. Um, she goes on with her life. He starts to decline. He stops cleaning, washing his clothes. He can't concentrate on his work. He causes fights with his friends. He called her house so often that her brother threatened to beat him up if he called again. He gets it in his head that he needs to, like, tell her off. He gets, he's really mad at her. He's like, you know, who does she think she is? You know. Right, right. And, but time passes and, like, nothing's going on. And then Tanya calls him. Remember I said this very easily can slip into being victim blamey. Uh-huh. She invites him to her brother's job. Um, That's awkward. Mm-hmm. Because very clearly there was this fight that happened before, like a month before. Yeah. Okay. So this is like a month later. Yeah. And okay. she's like, hey, what are you doing? And he's just like, the last time we talked didn't end well. And she's like, well, you know, I, I still want to be your friend. Well, <sighs> I told you, if I could be with you, they want to be I friends. know, I know, but he still showed up. Interestingly enough, this is the, uh, the brother that was like, yo, I'm going to beat your ass if you call mm-hmm. again. Um, Alex is working on his car. And Prashinji likes machines. Oh, that's why she invited his nope, ass. Nope, nope. No? He was at work. Her brother was at his job. Oh. But Prashinji, did, like, they showed up. I guess it was like she picked like a neutral area, maybe. I don't oh, know. Okay, okay. You know, um, not his place, not near her place. Mm-hmm. But regardless, uh, Alex and Brashidji bond over cars. Of course. <laughs> and like Alex was like, oh, I'll take you home. I'll take you back to I house. And they were going to leave Tanya. <laughs> also, and she forced her way into the car. No, he, I got a new friend now. We don't have to be friends now. I'm friends with your brother. Let's. Well, she really did think of him as a friend because at one point. She is there at his place and she confides in him that she had cared for another man, even spent the night with him, but he had stopped calling her. He was very hurt, but he decides he's going to pull the sorry out of his closet and give it to her anyway. Why? Why? Even worse. um, She's totally like, oh my God, this is so amazing. What a beautiful, you know, gift you gave me. And she kisses him. No, this is just everybody doing all the wrong things at all the wrong time, Um, which opened up the floodgates of emotion for him. And she's like, we're not together, though. She's like, this this isn't what you think it is. She makes a point to say in that after that situation. No, Mm -hmm. but it didn't matter. Um, (laughs) At this point, Prashinji's school advisor and Stanfill are like he has been missing class, missing work. He's about to fail out of school. Oh, no. June 5th, 1969, a friend of Prashinjit, who's another person who, uh, it's a fake name. Mm-hmm. His name, the, the name they use in the book is Jal Mahdi. Um, so since it's not his real name, I didn't really reference him a whole lot in this. Mm-hmm. He decides, like his friend is just like, you need to go talk to somebody. This is a problem. It takes him weeks to convince Prashinjit to even go. And the reason why his friend was like, you need to see a therapist is because they had planned another like get together. And Tanya had very, like I said, she's very flighty. She decides she, I think it was like an ice cream shop and she didn't show up. Hey, sometimes you just got to cancel because like, I'm just like, I'm not in a mood for that shit. Well, and see, that's <laughs> the thing. 
people get so mad when you do that. I'm like, look, but like, I listen, fam. Sometimes I just be like, I don't want to leave the house right now. I don't want to leave my fucking bed right now. Like, Ain't that I got canceled today. I'm sorry. I'm I'm just, I just need to cancel all of today. Can yeah. we just hang out? Thank, another time, another time. But, um, well, the problem was he told his friend that he was so angry that he wanted to kill her. Uh, and then he was going to do it. And then he was going to go to the police and uh, turn himself in. So his friend's like, okay, buddy, we need to go talk to somebody. Yeah. So they take him to Cowell Hospital. And um, he meets with, this is an emergency meeting um, with Dr. Stuart Gold. That is his real name. Okay. Um, his friend even goes into the session with him to try and explain it how Prashinji at this point is viewing the situation almost delusionally. He tells um, Dr. Gold, like, like Prashinji tells Dr. Gold after the friend leaves, well, he only wants me to forget Tanya so he can steal her away from me. Um, And Dr. Gold is like, okay, this is some serious infatuation at this point. Like, sure, there's a little bit of normal, like, you know, stuff, but this is a little past that. So then his friend tells him about that conversation that they had had in his dorm room where he where she gave him the dress oh he had recorded it and he had spliced together the audio so that he has her voice saying i love you i said i love it i love the dress Mm -hmm. like that and he was like listening to it over and over again in bed instead of going to school or even eating what Gold actually diagnoses him as being like straight psychotic and that he is is showing signs of like paranoid schizophrenia. Mm. He even considered hospitalizing him, but Tanya was going out of town for the summer. And so he was just like, all right, how about we just treat him outpatient here? She won't be in the area, so he'll be able to get some distance from her. Right, right. She was going down to Brazil. And it's not easy to get to Brazil. But it's important here to note that Prashinji did not tell Dr. Gold I want to kill her. He doesn't say that at all to his doctors. His friend didn't say that when he went to... I Not mean, quite. Why would you go to the doctor then? He like, is firmly rooted in the delusion that Tanya is in love with him, but she can't say anything because of her dad. And Dr. Gold gives him prescriptions for Thorazine and Compazine, sets him up with a school therapist named Dr. Larry Moore. Now, Dr. Moore is a pretty young doctor who had just been offered like his first permanent position at Berkeley, which was a pretty big deal. Um, Tanya left to go to Brazil on June 14th, 1969. Dr. Moore is like, all right, so we're going to meet weekly and we need to talk about the situation and kind of work through this. Dr. Moore is like, listen, distance will be really good for you. And Prashinjit does not agree. And he's miserable. Then Alex had called him to hang out because they still liked cars. Mm-hmm. Prashinji was interpreting Alex reaching out as Tanya attempting to stay in his life. No. Um, also, Prashinji had picked up these like pickup artist type books. Oh, no. And convinced himself that Tanya was being a tease. Oh, my God. And he wasn't entirely wrong that she was being slightly teasy. She was kind of toying with him, but not in a way that she assumed that he was going to eventually murder her for. Right. Yeah. And he tells, like, he tells, he's like, look at this book I bought. Like, he's meeting with Alex and he's like, look at this book I bought, you know. And he's, like, pointing out the things in the book that Alex told him. Mm-hmm. Or that, sorry, that he thinks that Alex's sister is doing. And Alex is just like, my sister doesn't like you. She just wants the attention. <laughs> but Prashinji is like, no, no, no. You don't understand what we have, you know. He continues to see Dr. Moore. And he's just like, 
Tanya said she was going to send me letters when she was in Brazil. She lied to me again. And Dr. Morris, like, you need to just stop thinking about her altogether. Yes. He tries to express to him, like, this person's causing you pain. Let it go. Let her go. Because in his head, he was like, if I can't get him to stop fixating on her, something bad's going to happen. Prashinji tells Dr. Moore, well, Tanya's brother asked me to move in with him. So that they can, so he can move out of his house and then I can move into an apartment and be out of I house. And Dr. Moore is like, no, 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 no. Is, you may not do that. Is, is that, is that true? Did his brother or her brother do he, that? Uh, apparently they like, I, I think Alex did see him as a friend. I don't think Alex realized how bad it was until it got really, really, really right. bad. Um, at yeah. this point, he's a little delusional, but it gets worse. Dr. Morris just like, listen, no, you cannot move in with this, this woman's brother. Yeah, he's no. like, at this point, like. Either you break all ties with Tanya and her family and focus on school or you can find yourself another doctor. So Prashinjit's like, you know what? I, I, I'm i going to do what you say. I, but Moore like doesn't really believe him. So Moore looks up the doctor, like the the friend who took him to Dr. Gold yeah. and, like, inter- and like interviews him to like check on him and be like, yo, is he doing what I'm telling him to do? Mm. So to be fair, Prashinjit really did try to follow most of Dr. Moore's plan. He did everything the doctor asked him to. He destroyed the tapes. He told Alex he wasn't going to move in with him. When he felt lonely and thought about Tanya, he talked himself out of it. He used the tools he was learning. But he couldn't bring himself to end the friendship with Alex Tarasov. Tarasov. Dr. Moore tried to redirect Prashinjit's attention to the work. Prashinjit had burned a bridge with Stanfield, but through working with Dr. Moore, he got up enough courage to go back and get his old job back. This is now July. Um, Stanfield's pissed and kicks him out at first, but then is like, you know what? I'll let you back in. Probation. Work on this. It was called the C-Lab. He's like, work on the C-Lab with me. Let's do this. C-Lab 2020. <laughs> By August of 1969, um, it was almost like he was back to normal. He was absorbed with work. He was making his own inventions again. Uh, but Dr. Moore was worried that when Tanya came back, he was going to slip right back into the old habits. Dr. Moore did not know that Alex is still in the picture here. Then, like I told you, he called up his friend, right. Jal. I was about to ask about and that. And was like, Jal called him and was just like, we have a problem. Oh. And he was just like, why? And he was like, well, I went to go talk to him. And after he had, he told me that he had recently gone to hang out with Alex and his friends and they had been talking about guns and that he said he was going to go to San Francisco and buy a gun. And so Dr. Moore is like, no, absolutely. You should like, I didn't know he still was even talking to Alex at this point. So Dr. Moore realizes that he's in a rock and a hard place because if he calls the cops on Prashinjit, one, he's worried about violating confidentiality agreements. He's worried about it ruining his career. He's also worried about it ruining his relationship with R- Prashinji. Because at this point now, this is three months of them meeting weekly. You build a really close bond with a therapist. This is true. Um, so Dr. Moore goes to Dr. Gold and he's like, listen, that kid you gave me, he's like, I don't, I think it's, da- I think it's dangerous. I think he's going to act out his fantasies. And that he still has a desire to get even with Tanya for hurting him. Dr. Gold isn't all that excited about it. And he doesn't want to do it. He is like, why don't you just wait for our boss? 
Just wait for our boss. He comes back next week and he's like, I can't wait till next week. No. This is important. No, yeah, no, there's no time for waiting. So he, um, August 18th, Prashinji comes to Dr. Moore's office for his normal appointment. And without a beat, Moore's like, so you've been seeing Alex this whole time, haven't you? And Prashinji's like, listen, he's the only friend I have left. He's like, so I heard you bought a gun. And he's like, no, 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 it's not to hurt anybody. I'm going to save her. And so he explains that he, when he was there with some of Alex's friends, Alex's friends were like, oh, she only went down to Brazil to like hoe around. And they're like, well, like they were making allusions to her like being a prostitute. Mm-hmm. So Jeet like says that he was going to get someone at I house to proposition her. And then he was going to show up and rescue her with the gun. No. And so Dr. Morris like, holy cow. He is right back in the middle of a completely delusional fantasy. And so Dr. Moore is like, you need to turn over that gun. He's like, you need to bring it to me. And um, he's like, or I'm going to have you committed at Herrick Hospital. And so Prashinjit's like, I guess this is over then. And he dips. He leaves. As soon as Prashinjit leaves, Moore calls the campus police and tells them that one of his patients who lives at the eye house is going to hurt a girl named Tanya Tarasov. He has a gun he won't turn over. He's a danger to himself and the girl. The police are confused because they're like, we've never been required to bring a person in like this without a court order. So then they have to go to like their books and be like, what do we do here? Call the cops. So the law say, well, we need a letter from his doctor. So Moore's like, bet, I'll do that. So the situation, though, is that the letter needs to be signed by multiple people there. Mind you. Who's not at the office right now? Their They're boss, boss. Palson. Come on. So he goes back to Dr. Cole and he's just like, I just need you to co-sign this as one of the senior physicians here. And the other doc, he's like, Palson's out of the office. And Gold's like, Ugh. he's like, did you ask him to voluntarily commit himself? And he's like, of course I did. He said, no. Then Gold's like, he's like, this is something our boss should sign. And pretty much said, listen, this has been going on for three months. What's another 10 days? Come on. Moore's like, I need this 72-hour hold today. And Gold's like, this kid doesn't even have a history of violence. He will. Which is so funny because weren't we talking about that earlier? How about how background checks and things don't help when the person doesn't have a history? Yeah. So eventually Gold agrees to sign the letter. Oh, my God. August 20th, Moore rushes to get the letter to the police. They had, were dealing with, like, a protest that day on Berkeley campus, which isn't all that uncommon. Oh, fuck, of course. Tanya's due back any day now at this point. Police chief isn't there, so he leaves it for the police chief. I'm going to read you the actual letter that the police chief got. Okay. It says, August 20th, 1969. William Beale, chief of police, room 2, Sproul Hall, campus. Dear Chief Beale, Mr. Padar was first seen at Cal Hospital by Dr. Stuart Gold on June 5th, 1969, on an emergency basis. After receiving medication... He was referred to their outpatient psychiatry clinic for psychotherapy. Since then, I have seen him here for seven times. His mental status varies considerably. At times, he appears to be quite rational, and at other times, he appears to be quite psychotic. It is my impression that currently the appropriate diagnosis for him is paranoid schizophrenic reaction, acute and severe. He is at this point a danger to the welfare of the people of other people and himself. That is, he has been threatening to kill an unnamed girl who he feels has betrayed him and violated his honor. He has told a friend of his, and he lists the name Mm. and where he's located. Wait, so he can't name the... He doesn't name Tanya. 
that he intends to go to San Francisco to buy a gun and that he plans to kill the girl. He has been somewhat more cryptic with me, but has alluded strongly to the compulsion quotations here to get even with and hurt the girl. I have discussed this matter with Dr. Gold and we concur in our opinion that Mr. Padar should be committed for observation in a mental hospital. I request your assistance of your department in this matter. Sincerely, Lawrence Moore, PhD, clinical psychiatrist, department of psychiatry. Okay. On August 22nd, Prashinji is at work when two police officers show up at the field uh, and approach him. The police are there to question him. And Gunnar Stanfield assures him, no worries, we'll get things straightened out. Oh, come on, Gunnar, no. Prashinji becomes almost deferential to the police. He's more timid. He's like, he wants them to like him. Mm. So he's being very, very, like, helpful. He's like, would it be better if I go to the police station and go there with you? Yes. And the police are like, sure, yeah, absolutely. He tells the police, he's like, listen, she keeps interfering with my life. She tried to get me and her brother to be besties. He's like, she told me she slept with another guy and threw it in my face. He's like, I've been done with her for months, but she says she's coming to Berkeley next year, so I'll probably see her socially, but I have no intentions of talking to her. And since Tanya hadn't lodged a complaint herself saying that she was afraid of him, the police let it go. But concerned parties... Well, here's what's even worse. So Stanfield tells the police he's a weird little guy. He was obsessed with her for a while, but he's been doing good for like the last six weeks. And that's the reason why I think Stanfield didn't want to be listed in documents. Mm. Because he helped tell the police that Prashinji was safe. Also, they took him back to I-House. He invited them up to his room. And they all admired all of the things that Prashinji made. Did they take the gun? He didn't have a gun yet. Okay. He just showed that he wanted to. So August 28th, Larry Moore goes back to work. He'd spent like a whole week just restlessly upset about this decision. Um, His boss, Dr. Harvey Palson, had returned and was not happy. Well, of course not. I mean, why, wait, why was he not happy? He was just like this. He's like, you destroyed any trust you built with Prashinjit, which is true. He's like, you've breached ethics. And Moore is like, well, no. They're, those are guidelines. Those are not hard and fast rules. Palson's like, that decision should have been up to me. You should have waited for me. And he's like, well, no, he's my patient. The decision was up to me. And so then he pulls out the police report on the situation, which paints Prashinjit as this timid, innocent young guy. Mm-hmm. His brother, I mean, his friend, Jal, had refused to make a report with the police because, you know, fear. Gunnar Stanfield had said he was a lovesick puppy dog and that the relationship with the girl had messed up his work for a bit, but he was fine now. Palson agreed with the police that Prashinjit was harmless, puts more on probation, and tells him, I don't trust your judgment. One false move, kicking you out. Oh my god, come on. It was, it was like, like if she had come back like while he was still gone, she would have been dead. Who knows? Who knows what would have happened? Well... Tanya comes back to the States September 10th, 1969. Alex moves out of the house and Prashinji moves in with him to an apartment. Are you serious? Off campus. She gets home and she learns that she's been accepted to Berkeley. Her dad's like, no, you can't go. She's like, yes, I am. How about no? Um, Don't go. She tells Alex, like, pass on the message. I don't want to see your homie. Prashinji is like, listen, I'll help you set up the party, but then I'm going to, like, hide out. I don't want to see her either. So... A situation happens at the party. 
He doesn't like, he doesn't attack her or anything. What happens is she's there and she's being very like boisterous and loud. She's talking about how she was in Brazil and she met this guy from Cleveland. Okay. Exactly. And she's doing it loud enough so that he can hear. Once again, she doesn't want to be with him, but she likes the attention from him and she likes to, she likes him to know. Now, unfortunately for this poor girl, she doesn't realize that this kid has been obsessing over her for months and it has gotten to a really unhealthy place. Mm -hmm. He starts following her as soon as she's home, slips back into obsessive behavior. She starts at Berkeley on October 6th. He follows her there too, trying to talk to her. Her and her friends are like, she doesn't want to talk to you, leave her alone. The interactions get weird. Her friends end up like yelling at him. You're a creep. She despises you. All kinds of stuff. Um, After the one like argument on campus, her friends are like, you need to report him. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Okay. Nope. She calls him while he's at work at the field, uh, the research facility and says, I'm going to burn the dress you gave me. What the fuck? Come on. Yep. Prashinjit is found sobbing in Stanfield's office. He's like, the next day he's just there in the dark. And then he never comes back to work after October 8th. He decides on October 9th, he's going to ask one of his former roommates from iHouse to ask Tanya for the sexual favors. He bought two pellet guns and his former roommate turns him down. And tells Tanya about the situation. Tanya calls the iHouse and complains about Prashinji. But she doesn't realize that he doesn't live there anymore. Well, actually, she kind of does. But, like, since he doesn't live there, um, she's like, well, can I speak to the, the student advisor for foreign students? Right. And they're like, okay, well, it's the beginning of the school year. Everybody wants a meeting with the advisor. Mm-hmm. Can you wait? And they're like, she's like, First, she's like, no, 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 we have to do it now. But then she scheduled an appointment October 28th, 10 a.m. Not too much happens between the October 8th or October 9th and October 26th. Mm-hmm. Um, that Sunday morning, Alex gets off of work because he works at a um, like a gas station slash car fixing up a place. Okay. He drives home. He walks through the house. Prashinji is just sitting in his room on a mattress on the floor with like a sheet kind of just randomly draped on him. And he's just like, I love your sister. And to Alex, Alex is like, it's very obvious he hadn't changed his clothes in days. He hadn't been to work. Those two got into a fight because like Alex is like, you got to go to work or else we can't afford to live here. They like, when I say they get into a fight, I mean like a fist fight. Like Alex like hits him. An hour after that, Prashinji goes to Tanya's house and rings the doorbell asking to see her. Her mom's like, she's already gone for school. Like, go. He waits in the bushes the entire day for her to come home. He He sees her come home, demands to talk to her. She refuses. He... Mind you, she's by herself. He... She's like, leave me alone. He shoves her and she starts screaming. He pulled out the pellet gun and he tried to shoot it in the air to, like, scare her. Several pellets do hit her, which freaks her out more. Mm-hmm. So she keeps screaming, which is when he pulled out the knife that he had with him 
and stabbed her until she stopped screaming. Oh. He, in fact, actually, he chased her through her house and into the front lawn. What? Like, she, <laughs> at one point when she was trying to get away from him and, like, he shoved her, they kind of fell into the house. Mm. So she ends up, like, running through and then they fall on the lawn. Um, he goes back into the house, calls 911, and he says, I just stabbed my girlfriend and she needs immediate medical attention. He waits, just sitting inside the kitchen crying but he hasn't put up a fight where her parents her mom was down the road dad was at work and her mom had her younger sister okay and they were at i think her sister's ballet practice Mm. okay um her mom that morning because her mom told her she was like i'm worried about that guy who keeps calling Mm -hmm. she's like you need to be careful italian's like it's cool it's cool what are you talking about not cool you think it's cool jerk stupid mind you that's october 26 two days before the meeting that she was supposed to have with his advisor yeah she's pronounced dead on arrival at herrick memorial hospital she was stabbed eight times in the chest stomach and back she was also six weeks pregnant oh my god he was charged with first degree murder and he pled insanity much of the testimony in his defense was very victim blaming Tanya tormented him, bragged about her sexual escapades to make him mad. But, like, of course that happens all the time. People do that. And no one gets murdered, so it didn't really matter to the court. Not all the time. August 26, 1970, he's found guilty of second-degree murder, given five to life. He appeals four years later. And the California Supreme Court overturned his conviction because they say that the judge did not give the jury enough instructions about law and people who have diminished capacity. So the U.S. compromises and they say, fine, we'll release him. He has to agree to go back to India. Mm -hmm. 1974, he returns to Calcutta. His parents arrange a marriage for him. He eventually goes to Germany where he continues to study naval architecture and leads a pretty normal life with his wife and child. The end? That is the end for Prashinjit Padar. In the United States, however, things were just getting started. Oh my god. So, when this all happens, staff members at Cowell Hospital all turn on Dr. Harvey Palson, and they're like, you caused this, there's accusations of authoritarianism, harassment, um, bringing up the fact that he tried to get Larry Moore to destroy that letter. That's, mm. you know, destruction of evidence. In response, Powelson fires nine therapists on staff, including Larry Moore and another woman who was in support of Larry Moore named Barbara Lena. Are you kidding me? From seven, 1970 to 72, the school and the, the it's a it's a hospital on at the school's campus, the campus have all these different like committees looking into this and trying to figure out what to do with him. He's like the senior there, like psychiatrist there. Yeah. Um, and they finally are just like, he needs to just be replaced. He resigns September of 1972. After Dr. Larry Moore got uh, fired, he leaves academia entirely, goes into private practice after and he continues to work there in Oakland, California. Wow. In September of 1970, Tanya's parents, Lydia and Vitaly Tarasov, file a $200,000 wrongful death suit against the regents of the University of California and the city of Berkeley for failing to warn them because they feel like the police should have warned them and the doctor should have warned them. Yes. <laughs> In 1974, that suit 
goes all the way up to the Supreme Court and becomes one of the biggest cases in California state history. The Supreme Court decision is now simply just referred to as the Tarasoff ruling. And it has, it pretty much changed the concept of doctor patient confidentiality forever. The ruling in 73 said psychotherapists have a duty to protect an individual they reasonably believe to be at risk of injury on the basis of a patient's confidential statement. With that officially being on the books, the Tarasoff family is awarded an undisclosed sum of money from the city and the college in 1976. Mm. But it's not really done yet. 1979, um, a doctor by the name of Max Siegel, the former president of the American Psychological Association, disagrees and releases a huge paper defending therapists' right to confidentiality. And direct quote here, he says it's sacrosanct under all circumstances. So I had to Google that word, (laughs) which means this is something that is too important to be interfered with. So he's saying that confidentiality is so important to the job that it should not be interfered with at all or any any circumstance. Not even if the patient is going to kill somebody. That was his opinion, which only incited more arguments about what doctor-patient confidentiality even means. Max Siegel even argued that because Larry Moore told the police it was Larry Moore's fault that this escalated because Prashinji might have stayed in therapy and might have not proceeded forward with his delusions had he stayed in therapy. Even with therapy, he was not doing well. Well, he He also wasn't following the rules. Exactly. He was like, cut off this family. Yes, had Prashinjit actually followed the the treatment plan maybe he would have fully gotten oh, better yeah, he, he, definitely but he wasn't following the treatment plan no because he kept hanging out with alex mm-hmm. and like if, and alex was a connection to tanya which means that she was still on his mind absolutely all the fucking time and like you live with the dude you told him not to live with him you told you not to move in but you told do you not to move in you moved in with him anyway oh my god would you leave that girl alone Well, 1985, California legislature codifies the Tarasoff ruling, making it an official part of the law. Um, It is illegal for a therapist to stay silent in cases where a patient has made clear threats to another person. This stays mostly no issues, no questions until 2018. Mm. Um, Well, so there was a case at... University of California, Los Angeles. Oh, you don't say California again, huh? Yep. Where a a woman by the name of Catherine Rosen sued the university for negligence after she was stabbed by another student named Damon Thomas. Now, Damon was being treated for schizophrenia and paranoia prior to this attack. Um, The California Supreme Court makes a note to, they made a note to commend UCLA on how they had expanded their mental health services, which a lot of colleges did because of the Virginia Tech shooting in 2007. Right. But they also agreed that Catherine Rosen was within her right to sue the school for not doing enough to protect her from a threat. Mm-hmm. UCLA had argued that they weren't obligated to protect students from every crime. Um, and Rosen was like, you should have had better security then. How did he bring a knife into it? Was It happened in a chemistry lab. Like he brought a weapon into a classroom and they're like, the courts agreed with her. Mm-hmm. Um, Tarasov case still calls in confusion whenever it gets invoked. The general consensus is that in doctor patient relationships, protective privilege ends where public peril begins. 
As of 2012, the concept of the duty to warn has been mandated in 23 states. In 10 states, it has not been codified into any like official law, but has been supported through precedent in court. Okay, cool. 11 states have a permissive duty written into their law books. And six states have no statutes or case law offering any guidance should this come up. Um, what states? Cause I kind of want to know. So. <laughs> I should have. I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> Dang it. I'm sorry. All right. So the duty. So we have, we have the duty to protect, which is mandatory. There's a big chunk of them. That's our state where we are. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, we have duty to protect, which is just permissive. No duty to attack are Nevada, North Dakota, North Carolina, Maine. And then there's just one listed as other, which just says Georgia is just listed as other. And I don't understand why they are showing up as other. But those are the states that don't have anything on the books. There's no, it's not referenced by precedent, nothing. But the majority of states do have something. Okay. It's just those North states. There's Nevada, North Dakota, North Carolina. (laughs) Maine. They're actually all over the country, but yeah, also Georgia is lacking in this particular law. Georgia, step your game up. Come on now. You're too close to North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so uh, thanks again to Janelle. I read this book in like one day. How dare you (laughs) suggest us read this? Well, she just said that she saw the case study in one of her school books, and I went, well... I would like to see the case study <laughs> and then jumped into that world. And then you went down the damn hole. In the rabbit hole. It's definitely interesting, um, especially as somebody who's been in therapy for a long time. Mm-hmm. I've always been under the assumption that if you are a threat to yourself or other people, they would tell yeah, on you. Yeah, that's like a thing. But- I didn't know that they wouldn't. I know. I thought that was just like, as soon as you start with the, you know, as soon as this whole... And I didn't realize that this kind of law and expanding, and even expanding it, um, there was another expansion in 2012 that I didn't write down, but it was to cover, like, family members. That if a family member told somebody, like, oh, my brother is mentally unwell and said he's going to kill so-and-so, mm. that you have to also listen to that, too. Oh. So that also happened in California. Huh. Interesting. It's because there were several different cases that popped up that were similar. Okay. But it wasn't a medical professional because they were like, eh. it's interesting. I mean, some of the stuff doesn't pop up until things happen. Mm-hmm. Perfect example. Um, if you're from central Pennsylvania or you care at all about college football, you probably know about Penn State and Jerry Sandusky. Um, I worked with children before that case happened. And uh, I had stopped because I was focusing on like photography and stuff. And then I got a job after Jerry Sandusky happened (laughs) working with children. And the requirements for you to work with children now are very, very different. Um, Specifically mandated reporters. Mm. We go through what's called mandated reporter training. And it's every once in a while they remind you of what the rules are, which is that it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you are at work, if you are with friends, if you see that a child is being harmed it is your, it's by law in the state of Pennsylvania, my duty to report it. And if I don't, I am liable to be arrested. That is 
And I have turned, you best believe I have turned some people in. Really? Uh, I have. It almost ruined a friendship of mine. Oh. Because I found out that one of her family members was harboring someone else Mm -hmm. who was harming a child. Okay. And I was like, "Mm, I feel like the person itself should have also reported it, was like, he has a family. And I'm like, why are you telling me this? Yeah. Now I have to tell people. It's not funny, but oh my god! It's, it's... I'm like, that's why I always tell you. This is one of the few things I said. Don't tell me nothing. Because I had to tell people. <laughs> I'm a snitch. I'm not going to jail for nobody. <laughs> Don't tell me you murdered somebody. Don't tell me you hurt. Listen, Mm-mm. you want me to be an alibi? Absolutely. Don't tell me what happened. Yeah. I'm a listen, Just say I was hanging doing? out. I, I was hanging out with you this night. Yep. We were we were playing a game. Yeah, that's all. We, we were, were just live streaming. Yeah, ab- absolutely. But don't tell me what you did. Don't worry about because it. Because don't listen. I know it. Listen, police are trained to get people to talk. So if you want me to talk, I already like talking. So it's just don't don't like, well, uh, excuse me, miss. What do you know about Brian Joyner? Um, well, you know, um, he's my friend. Uh, <laughs> what do you need to know? Got nice hair. Uh, Hello, thank you. Um. We do a podcast together. They're like, well, do you know where he was? Nope. <laughs> I could. I just. <laughs> I don't know where he was that night. Sorry, <laughs> officer. Oh, don't tell me nothing. But at least I can blame it on the fact that it is literally coded into my job that I yeah. have to tell on people. Or else you go to jail. If you do some that listen or if they say weird stuff. Mm. That's other things I have to learn. Like I've had kids say real weird things. I pick up on that shit a lot too. Well, like one of them last year was just like, "Are boys allowed to? See, are girls allowed to see boys' private parts?" And I was just like, mm. "Not, not normally." And I was like, "What happened?" And then she told me that um, she was like, her dad had seen her, and I was like, "Oh, well, oh. you know what happened?" And she's just like, she told me she was taking a shower, and he opened the door, and she was very upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh," and I was like, "Well, maybe we need to talk to mommy and daddy about how you are getting older mm. and you want more privacy." But, like, on the surface, when she just tells me that, also the other factor, too, is that she felt like because he saw her naked, that it would only be fair that she saw him naked. That's and I was like, only that's way- not how that works, honey. I'm so sorry. That's how it works in the real world, not in little kid world. And I was like, that's not, that's not how that works, honey. I was like, but we can talk to mommy and daddy later on <laughs> about the fact that you felt like it was, you know, that. You were in the shower, and the shower is a place where you don't want people to walk in on mm-hmm. you. I feel you. But you, know I mean? so you have to be, like, aware of the fact that kids say weird things, and you can't, like, lead them or things of that nature. Right, so, right. But, yeah. So, I mean, the same thing that Sandusky did to my career is what the Tarasov case did to anybody who works in psychology. It completely changed how they have to operate and how they have to – I mean, it's it's still difficult because they're, they have to make a judgment here. Is this person – just in a fantasy world, is this person a real threat? Hmm. And it seemed like even with Dr. Moore saying Prashinjit Padar is a threat, a bunch of other people around him who were also professionals were like, eh. Yeah. And because they couldn't kind of come to a consensus on that, a woman died. Oh, my goodness. Look at you and your terrible stories. Isn't it the way it works? <laughs> but what you got for us tonight?
All right. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> well, let me tell you, first off, if you didn't notice by now, I really, really, really do not like dolls. Wait. What? Doges? Dolls. Oh, D- dolls. Do you say doges? Yeah, like dogs. Dolls. G- oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, dolls, I understand. No, I like doge. Listen, Invest we played in doge through coin, Resident okay? Evil 8, so I understand that you don't like... Oh, my God. Dolls. <sighs> you did not enjoy uh, the Bienvenido house. I did not. Not at all. Let me tell you. <laughs> but, you know, the stories behind dolls, like, especially haunted, possessed, cursed dolls i love it they're, yeah they're awesome i love the stories um they're interesting are we doing another one of those uh, maybe because before we talked about the uh gyps Ooh, i hate that word what's yeah. the uh, what's the uh romani doll don't Romani's. use the slur Ooh. yeah we're talking even about- though every it's not the worst when like you're looking up something yeah. and it uses all the old terminology for it yeah, and i'm like Ugh. it's weird it's really weird um so uh, if i'm being honest with myself i i love the stories behind it um most haunted dolls are or most dolls period are downright freaking creepy um you know the eyes follow you they have just creepy auras around them and just their faces just fucking weird anyway okay but you have a daughter Uh uh-huh and she loves dolls yeah she does does she have like those real baby dolls she has or like um, the fakey baby dolls the ones that look more like cutesy or cartoony Okay, so she she goes in between stuff. She doesn't really have any real baby dolls anymore. She has one, I think, and I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I threw that one away. Um, she did. She no. She did stuff to it. And oh, it was, she destroyed it. it like was, she cut off all its hair and crap. It was messed up. That thing's messed up. Okay, okay. I was gonna say, how dare you destroy the baby's toys? That, that doll was tore up from the floor up. Okay. Um, but no, any other doll like she gets like. <sighs> barbies or she has brats dolls yeah that's how i feel feel like brats are like they don't look human enough to be creepy yeah but no or like those um monster high dolls they don't look real enough no they're just adorable there's some baby dolls that look like real babies no there are no she has like like three or four like actual little baby dolls that are you get to like pretend yeah feed them and stuff she likes you you know she likes being muzzly and stuff like that oh yeah cute 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 very adorable um, so why am I talking about dolls when I hate them oh so much? Do you want to know? Absolutely. Okay. Well, there'd be a place that if you just so happen to go there, you'll find hundreds of dolls oh. just hanging around in freaking trees. I know about this place. I, of course, am talking about the island of the dolls. Yes, this little getaway is just south of Mexico City, and here you will find dolls literally hanging around. There's so much about that place that's super creepy. I didn't find much. <laughs> really? Oh, goodness. That's one of the early BuzzFeed Unsolved videos. It's so weird. Where like, they visited down there. Yeah. And like, um, I also, I know you hate um, Zach Bagans. We'll be going into that later. But his episode on that, before they actually get to the island, yeah. is full of a lot of really good information about the area. Hmm. I, I, did, I did get... Um, 
I watched some clips from that. See, as well. you could have. I have Discovery Plus. You could yeah, have watched it on and my you account. Gave me a freaking password and everything. And I didn't even think of it. Whatever. I was, the oh, whole I episode. I just watched it recently. I was like, oh, he went down there. I didn't even know. Yeah, he did. Go um, down there. But like the information before, he, I mean, once he gets on the island, it's like, ooh, what's that? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. But like the the, I, I love saw. the background information that they go into very heavily on most of their episodes. Mm-hmm. They go really deep into like the history of the locations, which is what I I'm super into. So well, that's just go. my bag. So yeah, I mean like. From what, like, the way, because what I was watching wasn't them, the original episode. I was watching them review the episode when they first went down there. Okay. And they were discussing how, like, just traveling down there was really creepy. Hmm. And that, like, the canals are very dangerous. They really are. And <laughs> it's like almost like the catacombs. You could tell that they were very much like, oh, this was a really creepy place we went to. Like, Sure, some places are creepy for TV. Some places are just creepy. Yeah, like, please don't go. I mean, go well, there Well, it's a now. private property, isn't it? It's owned by... Um, You can still go down and visit. You can you can do uh, little Every tours and Every single stuff. group of people that I've seen do it, like the BuzzFeed people, those people, mm. it seems like a pain to get down there and yeah. you, and like... Because you got to get on a boat to get to the island. So you have to take a plane down to Mexico, then take a boat to get to that island, Mm -hmm. then take a a small little canoe type situation over to the tinier island. This is also, yep. (laughs) You have to pay, I think you have to pay about... um, If you don't speak Spanish, you got to pay for an interpreter. Oh, yeah, that and then... And someone to actually help you not get lost in the canals and die. I forget how much it is in pesos, um, but it's like you have to pay like a hundred dollars, basically in U.S. Um, oh, okay, that's cheap actually for like the boat, the little boat ride. Just the to boat, get to, yeah, just the boat to get to the island. It's either a hundred or eighty bucks, I think. But then, <sighs> but uh, that's like when we were talking about going. I was, I was telling you about when I was looking up tickets for Tokyo. Yeah, like the cost to stay in Tokyo is similar to the the cost of the tickets and that's mid-range hotels not expensive and not super cheap ridiculous that's how expensive the airfare is the cost for an entire week there is how much it costs to fly there i feel like it's the same way going down to mexico the plane ticket down there is probably like 10 times as much as you'll spend Mm -hmm. down there but yeah it just seems really scary like everything i've seen of this the island of the dolls yeah Poor dude. You'll tell a story of the dude. Poor yeah, dude. The dude. All right. So, I mean. <laughs> okay. Let me get into this. So, now, even though this island has become like a tourist attraction now, it was never meant to be, of course. Um, just like most places. Um, no, this island has a sad story, which led to its creation. Um you know, I want to add a side note. Like, I hate how I go on some sites and someone only has like part of the story. Oh yeah, and yeah. Then you go to another site. You have oh, I added more to the story. Then you go to another site and it has like more to the story. It just yeah, I have to keep going and going and going to find. That's why one of the few things, especially with the the haunted community being obsessed with this island, mm-hmm. um, they like I, I've seen some interviews with uh, I believe the either like a cousin or probably his nephew his nephew the nephew of the guy who owned the facility and like that was directly him talking and i'm like that's so much better than having to hear somebody else's interpretation of what that man said it's funny because i went to the what the actual website of the place and barely any 
information on the backstory of the mm-hmm. island. I was like, oh, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> do something. Yeah, I, found, a... I, I found some stuff. Yeah. I dug some stuff up. Well, the one thing we will say is that it's consistent across everything I've ever seen. Mm. The story of how it became. Yeah, right, right. It has always been the same. So that at least lends some legitimacy to it. This is true. Um, no one ever gets that part wrong. No, not, no, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> some people just leave out some parts. Um, oh. Yeah. Mm. So the Island of the Dolls or La Isla de la... Oh, I can't. My glasses. I blurred. No, I. I my eyes blurred. Hold on. I didn't practice. I practiced. <laughs> I was just face palming because <laughs> my eyes blurred out, and I was like, "Oh, hold on a second. Glaze over." Um, La Isla de la Muni Mu Munecas. Muneca. That's what I said. Munecas. <laughs> it has an S on the end. Munecas. Yes. Okay. That's what I said. <laughs> Only received this name in 1950. Um, after Sarah was there, um, I have yet to find any source that says what year this all freaking started. Um, well, yeah, because it was just like this guy. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't like you know write down no. when he experienced a traumatic moment. <laughs> no. Can you imagine that? Like a horrible thing happens to you, you go, you know what, dear diary, I'm gonna. Uh, <laughs> yeah, most April twenty second, two thousand twenty one. Oh a horrible God. thing happened to me. <laughs> like I don't think he thought about it in that way. It was just like this terrible thing happened, and after this terrible thing happened, this is how I reacted to it. Yup, trauma. Hmm. So a man named Don Julian, Julian uh, Santana Barrera um, leaves his wife and child for reasons. Um, but there's speculations that he didn't have the most, uh, the soundest of minds at that time. Right, right. Um, oh, damn it. And I looked this one up too. What was it? <laughs> the name of this city, the actual borough of Mexico City. Um, try and say it and I'll try and help. Oh, uh, okay. So the location we're in, it's, uh, se, se che me milko. You have to spell it out for you. X O C H I M I L C O. Anyway, it's a borough of Mexico City where um, this island is located. Right, okay. Um, um, oh, I... oh, Milko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's so many languages, the X doesn't make a sound. Yeah, no. Same thing with China. It's just like she. And yeah. I'm like, but that's not what it says. <laughs> it's an X. Yeah, so uh, Milko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, Don Julian, he decides to go to this island, I'm guessing to clear his head. Just live. Just to know? live away from his wife and his family. You know, have a good life. Yeah, or whatever one does on a random ass island. Um, he soon discovers. He claimed it as his own. Uh, my island <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> like a story that the story i was telling you about the uh the island off the coast of australia where people yes. were just like this is gay island yes. and it's ours <laughs> we have put a mailbox on it that's the post office <laughs> it's a real kingdom now <laughs> one gay island <laughs> is our address <laughs> uh, postal code zero zero zero. Oh my fucking god <laughs> oh don't you just love people yes. but anyway so he claimed this island as his own Yes, he um, soon discovers the body of a drowned little girl on the shore, or 
in the in the in the canals. Um, Would have traumatized me. Yeah. So I mean, I can't be mad at him. Yeah. What um, he did with that is confusing, but I would have definitely been freaked out. I probably would have like abandoned that island and never come back. Absolutely, like a dead body here. Oh no, 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 going home. <laughs> and it's a baby. Yeah. Um, so sad. That's why I said, poor Don. Yeah. So shortly after he he finds her, he finds a doll floating down the water as well. In the same area where he found her. Yep, absolutely. Now his family thinks that this little girl was actually a figment of his imagination. And like his his isolation and loneliness on the island just kind of like... Thoroughly plausible? Cooked that up in his mind. Either way, it's still freaking sad. Like finding a dead body of a little child just... Like wash, washing up on the shore. Manifestation of something worse. Yeah. It's all bad. It's all bad. Um. Yeah, I got nothing for you there. That <laughs> would be a terrible experience. So in order to appease the spirit of this uh, child, he decided to hang up this doll that he had found mm-hmm. in the trees. Um. Oh, that one? No, she has a special spot. Oh yeah, the first doll. Oh, that's the first doll. Is is yes, this is true. That's inside the little shack. This is true. The first doll is inside of his shack home museum. I can't tell if that was like because there's a couple different like when you look at the island, there's a couple different like, buildings. Yeah. So I'm like, was that was the place where he put that doll, the little shrine to her, where he was sleeping, or because, is that separate? He had a little special shrine on the outskirts of the island. Well, where. He had the first doll mm-hmm. was he, there was a bed in there. Okay. So that so, was his probably his little place. Yeah. So I'm guessing she that was the first place he made and that's where, you know, he put her. Um but other dolls he, he did. Um I have a question for you. Yes. And I've always wondered this. Mm. Whenever I've seen anybody cover this in any of my ghost shows, where was he getting all of these dolls from? <laughs> well, I've wanted to know for years and I never thought to look it up, but like, where did he find them all? He found mo- like dolls in the canals. Oh. Um, he found them in the trash. Oh. And he even traded produce with people for dolls. Oh. So that he could hang them up. Okay. So a little bit of it was like lost, like the little island of the lost toys. Yeah. Uh. And the other. <laughs> Didn't Mickey you just frowned so uh, hard. I didn't remember that. I should have put that one in this. I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was the island of misfit toys. So it's a little bit of island misfit toys going on there, but also him actively seeking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was actively seeking Selling out. Selling his produce for dolls. Okay. And this is All what right he then. was doing. Um, let's see. Where was I at? But yeah, he didn't stop with just you know one doll. He he, like I said, he got his dolls from the canals, the trash. He got them from merchants. Um, and then when he got like most of the ones, of course, the ones from the canals and the trash, they weren't in the best of shape. But mm-hmm. did he clean them and fix them up when he hung before he hung them up? He did not. He, he did not. He he left them the way they were, and you know, but you know. Even though they weren't in the best of shape, they were still hanging up in, right, and, and exposed to the elements. And that's my thing, though. Like, how bad could they have been? Because they look real bad now. They, mm, I don't know. I, we won't ever know. But still, some of them look real awful now. Yeah. Busted, broken faces. Mm. 
chip skin and all yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, chip plastic. I just say skin. <laughs> no, it's dog. Oh, no, you did say skin. <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck dolls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Mm-mm. So, yeah. So, most of, like I said, most of the dolls weren't in the best shape. Um, the island itself is said to be, like, this is a, one of the theories is that is, the island is haunted by the, the spirit of the little girl um, that he had found. So, this is why he hangs up the dolls. Um, uh, he then realizes the dolls. So, this is a part of the legend, or, you know, okay. part of whatever. He realizes that some of the dolls are possessed as well. So he has to hang up more dolls to appease those spirits of little girls that were possessed by, that were possessing the other little dolls that he hung up in the trees. It, did I lose you? I lost myself. I gave myself a headache for a second there. Um, <laughs> it was just around, it was just going around yeah. and around just trying to appease spirits that may or may not come to his island for these cursed dolls. So here is another question. Yes. He had a wife mm-hmm. and kids. Mm-hmm. What did they think of this? Because he pretty much stayed there forever, if, right? Until the day he died, yes. He never came back home. No. And he felt compelled to put so, hundreds of dolls in all of the trees on the yeah, island. I don't know. And do people still do it? I know they bring down dolls. I think people still like donate dolls to the island. Okay. I wasn't sure if people were still like stringing them up or yeah, anything like I, that. I, I don't know if they're still stringing them up, but I do know they're still probably donating some dolls. To, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know about his family. I didn't read anything. The only thing I read about his family was that they thought that, you know, he had um little mental issues and that he um cooked up the the little girl throughout, you know, loneliness and stuff. Right, not, not, right, right. Not cooked her. You said cooked, and my brain went directly to cannibalism. I'm so sorry. He didn't cook her. He just made her. But he, that he created like, her in his head. God, you got you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God. Mm-mm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> so in 2001, mm-hmm. uh, Don Julian, he was found dead. Uh, he had drowned in the same spot where he had found the body of the little girl. Well, and things I've learned from my job is that it only takes as much water as it needs to cover your nose and your mouth to drown. Yeah, you could drown in a puddle. You really can. Yeah, so he could have totally just been on the shore, had a heart attack, fell in the water, drowned. Yep. Done. Um, So after his death, uh, the island has become a tourist attraction with people bringing their own dolls and taking some creepy looking pictures of the island. Uh (laughs) Oh, for sure. Yeah. So there's a small museum on the island that that looks like Don Julian used as his house. Um, inside it holds more dolls, um, including, like we said, the first doll he found. Uh, nowadays, jo- uh, Don Julian's nephew takes care of the island. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, did you know there are two movies? Of the island Is there a movie about this? Yeah. I've only ever seen like so stuff on like you know Discovery, ID Channel, all that kind of yeah, stuff I'm about not, it. I'm not sure if there are two movies. I looked it up, and one was supposed to come out in 2016 and the other one was 2018 they're both same name island of the dolls two different premises but i'm not sure the first the 2016 one is actually the island of the dolls it's probably something stupid huh um but yeah the, the recent two, movies though yeah 2018 apparently a reporter or something she goes to the island to 
find some mystery and she ends up being turned into a doll or some shit like that. You know, they know. never make it about what it's actually about. No, it no. ultimately it infuriates me that Annabelle is a completely <laughs> different story now. I would never The original about story is just fine. Yeah. It really is. That's just, a great she movie. She created this whole, there's this pregnant lady and she gets this ugly doll and then this other stuff happens when the baby's born. I'm like, you just Rosemary's baby this story? Like, this is weird. Like, can we just, let's just be a little demon with this stupid doll? Little demon doll? No. Causes trouble for everybody who's ever been around it? That's the movie. Mm-mm. That irks me so much. Like the official story of the Island of the Dolls is creepy yeah. and weird. And if it was just that guy, like just a movie with one dude, just, just showcasing his like isolation oh, like and him castaway? going more crazy and yeah, the castaway. Well, no, but this is a doll. <laughs> uh, well, the yeah, him and the dolls also- that would have been a really interesting movie. Instead, we did bring. So I bet you she was a white lady too. Some white lady reporter goes down to Mexico. Shouldn't even be down there in oh the first God. place. I, I didn't look. That- shouldn't be on the ancestral lands of other folks. <laughs> I didn't look too much into it. I bet. I'm gonna go look because it looks stupid. And um, there are books, of course, um, about the Islands of Dolls. And I, you know, I, of course, was looking for those for research. And what you get is people with different stories about, you know, just made up, you know, fictional stories about the Islands of Dolls, but. Other than that, um, modern day British journalist. There you go. Never mind. She's a white lady <laughs> going to uncover the truth of the infamous Island of the Dolls with a photographer and several locals. Oh my god! So can I tell you this one? Okay, so since you mentioned Ghost Adventures earlier, I just mm-hmm. wanted to bring it up. So I watched some Ghost Adventures clips of, about you know going to the island, mm-hmm. and for some reason. They brought freaking Harold the doll. Yes, they did. Zach brought Harold the doll. So I and I, it wasn't a good time for him. No. So I didn't watch the whole episode. Like I said, I watched clips. Um, and in one of the clips, it was like a flashback to when Zach was talking to somebody, like two people, I guess mediums or something. Oh yeah, he and, in the the city, the big city, not yeah. near the island. He went and he spoke to a um woman, and she was just like, "I just want to let you know." You got this doll, yep. and they don't want you to bring that doll to this island. And the doll doesn't want to go to the, the island. The doll doesn't want to go, and they don't want him there either. Yeah, exactly. He's like the, She said the doll wants to go back to America. He does not want to go to that yep, island. Yep, and he <laughs> still brought it. Yep. He I, still brought this. Oh, my God. He still brought and this. And he was doll. like, he was, that's uh, one of the, the few mediums that he's met who like, he was like, ugh. <laughs> you have spoken some truth my lady um, yeah she wasn't bullshit because <laughs> it was interesting on that episode every time he went to go take harold out mm. something weird happened of course like a noise came from a place that didn't make sense one of the dolls that didn't have any sort of electronics in it made a noise mm-hmm. um stuff like that and so it was almost like hey if this island does have spirits and they don't want you to take this stupid doll out don't they literally were were creating distractions on the other part of the island that made you leave the doll in the boat yep. and go investigate on that side i'm like oh. these little these little uh, whoever's there are uh, tricky so yeah at one point in one of the clips there was a fire that started on the island yes and they were like who started that and, and everybody was like 
uh not us yes like they walked away from it and they get i guess they came back like a minute or two later and this fucking fire is like going and i'm like we walked away and now this <laughs> he exaggerated the fucking fire you look at it he's like and this this oh this, roaring, this inferno this yeah yeah inferno yeah it's going on it was, like, it was a little fire that started and that was weird enough by itself yeah, it, like that's weird enough you don't have to exaggerate we didn't we have to call it. it an inferno we turned around and there was a blaze behind us he's very dramatic <laughs> i was like you stupid he's yes zach bagans is a very dramatic i watched um I watched the entire Tiger King special. I did not. I, and I was wondering why the hell they did something on Tiger King. Well, while they were there, they, they brought cadaver dogs. And the dogs indicated that there was definitely something in this one area of water that used to have crocodiles there. It's probably dead tigers. It's either the tigers or it's the people. But generally, cadaver dogs are trained to smell people. Carol Baskins. Killed her well, now Carol Baskins owns that area. Whacked them. It convinced me that it didn't happen. Oh my well, God. my favorite thing was at the time that that movie came out, I was I was dating someone mm-hmm. who was from Florida. Mm. And when they mentioned where she was from, he was like, oh, oh. well, the 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 path that she was walking where she met her husband who eventually died mm-hmm. is also an area Wait wait he's not he's not dead he's not dead he's just missing, missing. <laughs> her missing husband well that's an area where people who are looking to pay find other people who are looking to receive certain activities it's a stretch for people who are um I, I, prostitution I I got it I picked yep. it up I thought you so I at first So that's what my my cuz my friend is from that area. Well, he's not my friend anymore, mm. but he's from that area. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, "Oh, that changes the story entirely." <laughs> he everybody was like, in knows he, what's going He's on. like, "Yep, everybody in Florida, everybody from Orlando is like, "Yeah, yeah, no. That's not where people go if they don't want to get in trouble." Oh. They're like, "She was walking and crying." And I was like, he was like, "She was walking and trying to get somebody to pick her up." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Wow, things I didn't know." Oh, wow. But regardless, Orlando too. My parents live down in Orlando. <laughs> well, hopefully not where that was taking I place. I hope not. Oh my god. I doubt it. But um, what was I going to say? Um about freaking Tiger King, something about that. I don't know. Well, they did that ghost thing there? Yeah, it was just I was just weird cuz I saw it, it was a special one uh the TV too, and I was like, they did a haunted Tiger King. Okay, it actually was interesting. Hmm. Okay. Well, I don't know. Like I mentioned, Harold the doll. Yeah. Um. And apparently, like like we mentioned earlier, the the island doesn't like visitors or um other dolls like Harold. I guess. Um, well, Harold has his own backstory. He does. And that is very negative. Um, and so if these are just like, just think about this. Like, I'm just trying to have a good time, chilling with my doll friends, with my little spirit yeah. friends. <laughs> and then here comes this like supposedly possessed, potentially demonic being yeah. to my island. Like, excuse me, sir. We're just trying to have a good time here. You can go back <laughs> to America with your demonic ways. So apparently, yeah, I actually have like, I kind of got copy and paste his, his, his backstory mm-hmm. a little bit. <laughs> Um, I could, doesn't it have like a demonic connection? I forget. He does. I thought so. He does. So apparently, Harold was um, put on auction up on eBay. Yeah, another one of those. Another like the hands that resist him. 
Um, he was putting up on eBay in 2003. I gotta let you know, everybody who has looked up the pictures from the hands that resist him are very upset with you. Well, I'm glad. They're like, they're te- those are terrible photos. I was like, isn't it wild? Awful. Like, I didn't understand why you were freaking out. And I was like, it looks weird. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, uh, oh, I also wanted to mention. So something happened with, I guess, with so Harold's arm when Zach was at the island, his left arm was, I guess, loose. And then as Zach was holding him, this is what I read, um, that Zach, when Zach was holding him, he started getting bruises on his left arm as well. Oh, well. And you know. they kind of, like, made some kind of correlation with that. You mess with the... Yeah, no, I think there were two things that happened on that episode that were very interesting to me, which was that they were using that little spirit box thing mm-hmm. that, you know, runs through. And, and um, the guy who was helping them with the boat, like the canals, mm. had known Don Julian and recognized the voice of his friend. Oh. And I was just like, oh. Yes, he did have his friend with him. Yeah, yes. his, the, that that wasn't on purpose. That was just the person who knew the canals yes. was someone who knew Don and he heard his voice when they were there. And that was actually really emotional for him because it'd been years since he heard his friend. Um, and like I said, the fact that the one doll made a sound like it had a, like a voice motor or voice box in it. Yeah. But when they looked, it was just like a normal, like hollow toy. Oh That's creepy. Was... I don't care about the fire thing. I mean, that could have been somebody not realizing what somebody else did. Yeah. yeah but I yeah. was like the, that you can't make something make a, a baby sound if it doesn't have the box in it. This is true. Creepy. This is very creepy. I don't ever want to visit there. Me neither. Uh, <laughs> Not on my list of places I'd like to go. Hell no. Still want to go to the catacombs, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you were only interested I, I, in I, that I, to appease me? No, 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 no. I, I was... I I like the idea of it, and mm-hmm. I kind of still want to go, but I have just not thinking about it. I'm like I'm claustrophobic. My head's gonna be hitting that roof. Ooh, you're right. You got skulls everywhere. I don't want to touch my hair. Okay, I didn't think about that. I am a little bit claustrophobic too. I assumed that it would probably be pretty high, because I remember one time I got to visit Eastern State Penitentiary, and they had opened up the prison cells, mm-hmm. and the root the, the the prison cells that are underground, like the punishment cells. Yeah are five feet tall oh my god no i know and like that just having to bend the entire time we were down there was really like abs- like it just made me feel anxious yeah they're opening up again you know are they yeah i heard something on i love my- that place it's wonderful to walk around yeah and most of the area is not like those underground cells i'm pretty sure they're opening up soon actually this month Oh, like later this month or it's a good time. I think is it Steve Buscemi does the audio tour. You wear a little, you wear a little. Yeah, he's a very good Buscemi. (laughs) Well then, (laughs) so no. That's one of the few places that I had an experience. Yeah, I kind of just want to go to like abandoned places and just see abandoned things. Like like in Pennsylvania, we have so many abandoned amusement parks. Do we really? We do. There's like... But are there any we can actually get into? I'm pretty sure, yes. Okay. But like legally and not get arrested. Oh, well, I mean... Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave you to spelunk on your own, sir. I mean, if you really want to not get caught, I mean, you can not get caught. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, that was our very... I mean, this isn't longer than any normal episode. We're still at about two hours. Yeah, yeah. Um. Once again, thank you to... For listening to all this, if you listen, 
Everybody um, who listens, thank you very and much. As you can see, if you send me something that I think is interesting and I can sink my teeth into, I will absolutely talk about it on the podcast. I am jealous. <laughs> Brian wants you to send things that he can talk about that's creepy too. I like creepy stuff. Send him something new and interesting. I'm going to talk about something. You guys are going to be scared about it. And you're going to be like, why'd you talk about that? Well, you didn't send me other scary stuff to talk about. <laughs> so here you uh, go. <laughs> as you know, again, like I said, uh, there will be notes about uh, at your service, May Cafe. Also, we have an official website. Yes. Killersgetcaught.com. Check it out. That it's has awesome. links to everything, links to sponsors, links to all the episodes, places where you can comment. You can leave reviews there that don't involve you having to have Apple. Miss Brittany did all the work and she made it awesome looking. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, I tried. To oh, make yeah. We're there. also um, we are also working on merch right now. We are um, looking. We're testing stuff out. Yeah. We're right now we're wasting we're working on not wasting but we're <laughs> wasting. we're we're waiting on test items to see the quality of them yep. the print quality see if things need to be adjusted but the hope is that you know by like July we'll have that and we'll have a Patreon and Patreon and you Patreon, know Patreon, we can whatever. you know give out some some goodies for certain tiers there you go yes thank you so it's all very exciting and. uh yeah. Just yeah. Always, um, as always, follow Brittany on. That's right. At Cult Podcast, um, where I always am on every TikTok. single day. Um, you also leave us emails at cultpodcast at gmail dot com, mm-hmm. and you can find me streaming on Twitch every Sunday. I'm trying to. I'm trying to increase the days I'm streaming. Um, oh right, we did talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, eventually, I have extra days added to my repertoire there you um, go but for now it's just sundays um what am i playing hades hades right now okay i gotta find oh you know what never mind at the end of the month guess what's coming out what a new doki doki oh right so, that should be interesting yeah so i'm gonna be um, as soon as that comes out i'm streaming some freaking doki doki literature club because i love that game this um, is a paid for version right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. i played the free one it's on my youtube if you want to see that i played, played it yeah it's it was weird I um if you want to see me playing Doki Doki Literature Club, I have it on YouTube. It's the same name, Foxy Trainer or Master Fox Trainer, something. It's a fox and trainer something. Um look it up on YouTube if you really want to watch me play Doki Doki. Um but yeah. That's um about all I got. And there you go. Alright, thank you guys for listening once again. Um have a good night. Bye bye. <laughs>